Christmas, the season of joy, of peace, and of goodwill. Well, not so much on the Unsolved Mysteries of the World podcast. Welcome to our Christmas holiday special, where we talk about some unsolved mysteries of the not-so-merry kind. In this episode, we will feature five mini-mysteries, all occurring on or around Christmas Day. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 2, Episode 6. Christmas Mystery Number 1, The Thing. On Christmas morning of 1964, many Warminster UK residents woken to hear a series of strange noises. Of course, many families were happily waking to Christmas morning and the sounds of excited children. But many said they were being hit with what they described as sonic attacks, a series of strong, pounding vibrations. One resident was awoken by the repeated sound of something falling onto her roof. When she looked out the window, she heard a strange humming noise, but the weather was clear and nothing had come in contact with her roof. This same experience was reported by many different residents in different locations that morning, including 30 soldiers at a nearby base camp. However, no one saw anything strange, nor could they figure out where these sounds were originating from. The most unusual incident involved a resident named Marjorie Bai. While walking to church for a Christmas service, Bai was so overwhelmed by vibrating noises that she was knocked to the ground and rendered unable to move. In her own words, she was, quote, pinned down by the invisible fingers of sound. Over the course of the next year, there were numerous reported incidences of strange, unexplained sounds in Warminster. These noises were eventually nicknamed The Thing. By summer of 1965, witnesses started reporting unidentified flying objects in the sky. Some 50 years later, the people of Warminster still want answers over the mysterious outbreak of UFO sightings that propelled the country town in the southwest of England onto the national stage in the 1960s. The Warminster case is one of the strangest cases of mass paranormal sightings cases registered in the UK. Although strange phenomena were recorded in the area prior to 1965, it was in that year that the frequency of reports of mystery noises and sightings intensified. On August 17, 1965, a detonation noise rocked houses on the town's Borham Field housing estate before a monstrous orange flame was seen in the sky, crackling and hissing. There were also reports of strange sounds killing flocks of pigeons that year, as had also been claimed 12 months previously in 1964. The phenomenon then became known as the Warminster Thing. Most of the sightings were around the Cradle Hill and Clay Hill areas surrounding the town next to military land on the edge of Salisbury Plain. Claims of paranormal activity in Warminster go as far back as the 1950s, but it was the sudden flood of reports around Christmas 1965 that led to an official public meeting being held in the town hall. It was hoped the meeting would lead to answers from authorities about what was happening in the local area. 
but no explanation was forthcoming, and the case remains unresolved today. After the 1965 public meeting received national, then international media interest, the town became a gathering point for UFO hunters and investigators, with a series of books also written about the mystery. The interest and the mass sightings continued. August 20th, 1965. A couple on a motorcycle felt it stall as two white spheres of light hovered overhead and then changed color. On August 8th, 1965, at about 12.25 a.m., a woman driving towards Warminster felt her car lose power after seeing a bright orange ball before the vehicle stopped. She then saw a dark object rise from a nearby field, sparking red and blue, before the engine just suddenly started up again. On September 7, 1965, at 8 p.m., Major William Hill's car cut out and was shaken by air vibrations. He got out and heard a whining, crackling noise. On August 7, 1967, a businessman driving past Clay Hill felt his car become hot and heard a high-pitched noise before the engine just completely failed. He got out and saw a glowing white disc overhead before it sped off. On August 25, 1975, a serviceman driving near Warminster reported to a police patrol that his car malfunctioned after seeing a bright red light in the sky. Kevin Goodman, a UFO enthusiast who spent prolonged periods in the 1970s investigating the Warminster mystery, later wrote a book entitled Cradle of Contact about his and other researchers' experiences. At Cradle Hill in Easter of 1977, he personally saw something that left his jaw hanging. He said, I saw four red lights evenly spaced apart. They flew over the top of the hill and Battlesbury Barracks, where they stopped and hung there for about a minute. Then one shot out of the sky at a 90 degree angle at great speed before it was followed a minute or two later by the other three. He also described recording noises like a thudding heartbeat on tapes, although they have since been lost. Tape recordings made at Cradle Hill picked up the noise, which some later people dismissed as just electromagnetic energy being caught on tape. But he said the same noise was recorded inside a 16-foot-deep concrete grain silo nearby, which had concrete walls of 3 feet deep, meaning such energies would not have been able to penetrate it. The town gained a ton of publicity after a photograph of a flying saucer was published in the newspapers in the 1960s. UFO enthusiasts started flocking to the town, but the hype eventually died down and there would be no more visits from the thing. No one has ever been able to explain the origin of the strange sounds heard on Christmas 1964, let alone explain any of the other occurrences that happened thereafter. Christmas Mystery Number 2 The Unsolved Murder of Latricia White and the Disappearance of Dub and Chance 38-year-old Lockhart, Texas resident Latricia White was spending Christmas 1994 with her boyfriend Lee Dub Wackerhagen and his 9-year-old son Chance. Chance was supposed to be returned to his mother on Christmas Day, but called her to request a few more days with his father. 
On December 27th, after not hearing from his daughter for a while, Latricia's father decided to visit her home. He was shocked to discover Latricia dead in her bed. She had been shot six times with a 22 caliber weapon. Dub and Chance Wackerhagen were nowhere to be found. Since Dub was known for having a violent temper and reportedly got into a heated argument with Latricia shortly before Christmas, he was the prime suspect in her murder, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. However, there is still debate about whether Dub took Chance and went out on the run as a fugitive, or if they were both victims themselves. Three days later, Dub's pickup truck was found abandoned in a field 50 kilometers away. Many items were found inside, including Dub's wallet and checkbook. The most compelling piece of evidence was a heap of unopened Christmas presents in the back, some of which were covered with blood. Surprisingly, the blood did not match Latricia White, leading to the possibility that Dub and Chance fell victim to an unknown party who subsequently disposed of their bodies. Months later, Chance's maternal grandmother got an anonymous phone call from a young boy who said, Help me. The call was cut off, but she thought the boy might have been Chance. No one knows if Dub and Chance were murdered that Christmas or if they're still hiding out somewhere. For years, Dub's family faced accusations that they were providing assistance to Dub and Chance while they were on the run, but they insisted he was not capable of murder and believed Dub and Chance were victims of an unknown third party who disposed of their bodies. In May of 2016, investigators suddenly announced that they had uncovered new evidence, which made them now believe that Chance and Dub were victims of foul play from the same person who murdered Latricia. So Dub is now officially classified as a missing person and potential homicide victim rather than a wanted fugitive. However, they have never publicly revealed specific details about this new evidence, which compelled them to change their mind. To this date, it still remains a complete mystery. I'd like to take a break now to tell you about our show sponsor for this episode. It's a great new podcast called Physical Attraction. Physical Attraction is the podcast that explains physics one chat-up line at a time. From interviews with experts, through apocalyptic scenarios, to the latest developments in physics, the show explains complex topics in a simple and engaging way. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit the website at www.physicspodcast.com and follow the Twitter feed at PhysicsPod. Christmas Mystery Number 3 The Unsolved Murder of Rhonda Hinson 19-year-old Rhonda Hinson worked a clerical job at a steel company in Hickory, North Carolina. On the evening of December 22, 1981, Rhonda attended a company Christmas party and left with two of her friends. After dropping them off, Rhonda headed home for her home in Valdez and wasn't far away when she became the victim of a bizarre homicide. A high-powered rifle was used to fire a shot at Rhonda's vehicle from an unknown location. The bullet managed to travel through the trunk 
in the driver's seat before striking Rhonda in the heart and lung. Her vehicle was found by the side of the road with the driver's door open. Rhonda's body was lying several paces away. The circumstances of how or why she was murdered remain unclear. Rhonda had been acting strangely toward her parents in the preceding weeks. She dropped hints that she was concealing a terrible secret and made an unusual inquiry to her mother about the appropriateness of dating a married man. On the night of the murder, a motorist drove past Rhonda's car and saw an unidentified man standing next to the driver's side door with Rhonda slumped over the steering wheel. The witness did not know that Rhonda was dead at the time, but he did see a Trans Am parked down the road a short distance away, which may have belonged to the man seen next to Rhonda's vehicle. If this man fired the fatal rifle shot from a distance, why did he approach her car and then drag Rhonda's body out onto the road? Was her death an accident or a cold-blooded murder? These questions remain unanswered. Since 1981, police have focused on two theories. Was Hinson targeted by a gunman she knew? Or was she the victim of a random, perhaps accidental, shooting? I think she was targeted, Judy Hinson says. My husband thinks it was just a random shot by some people in the area playing around with a rifle. Hinson said police found foreign DNA on her daughter's sweater, but Sheriff Steve Wisenat of the Burke County Sheriff's Office declined to comment on what forensic evidence if any, investigators have collected. Rhonda Hinson was buried on Christmas Day. Police are hopeful each Christmas that a new lead will come forward to put closure on this unsolved murder. Christmas mystery number four, the hit and run of Kevin Showalter. On Christmas Eve, 1973, 20-year-old college student Kevin Showalter and his girlfriend were driving through New London, Connecticut, when their vehicle got a flat tire. Kevin pulled over and was in the midst of changing the tire when he was struck by a passing vehicle and killed. Kevin's mother soon sensed that something was wrong when she went to retrieve her son's personal effects from the scene, but was told they had been lost and that his death would probably never be solved. Her subsequent investigation would uncover allegations of shoddy police work and a potential cover-up. Harvey Malove, a former mayor of New London, was considered a potential suspect because he had driven through the area at the time of Kevin's death, but provided testimony which contradicted eyewitness accounts of the accident. A one-man grand jury determined that Malove was the most likely culprit, but there was not enough evidence to file criminal charges. Malove maintained his innocence, and in 1979, a man named Paul Hansen came forward to confess that he was the hit-and-run culprit. By that point, the statute of limitations had expired, so no charges could be filed against Hansen. Another grand jury was convened, but they determined that there was no evidence to support Hansen's claim, so the inquiry was closed. The case remained cold until 2005, when Hansen committed suicide. He left behind a note once again claiming responsibility for Kevin's death. Police decided to reopen the case, but when the local media requested transcripts from the earlier investigations, they were all denied. In fact, 
the 3,000-page transcript from the original grand jury investigation on Malove had mysteriously gone missing. To this day, Kevin Showalter's death is still officially unsolved. Christmas mystery number five. Christmas Eve spontaneous combustion. A farmhand named John Larson spent Christmas 1885 with his employers, Patrick and Matilda Rooney, an elderly couple who lived just outside of Seneca, Illinois. They shared several drinks before Larson retired for the evening and went upstairs to bed. Sometime during the night, he underwent a coughing fit and had trouble breathing, but soon he drifted back to sleep. When Larson woke up on Christmas morning, traces of soot were on his pillow. Larson went downstairs and was shocked to find Patrick dead in his bedroom. Matilda was nowhere to be found. Later that day, Larson wandered into the kitchen and found a large blackened hole in the floor. It rested alongside what appeared to be the charred remains of a human foot. A pile of ash was inside the hole. This was all that was left of Matilda Rooney. It seemed that Matilda was the victim of spontaneous human combustion, which caused her entire body to catch fire and burn to ashes. The estimated temperature of the fire that consumed her was 1,400 degrees Celsius. That's 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. But there were no other signs of fire damage other than that spot. It was later determined that Patrick had died of smoke inhalation. This explained Larson's coffin fit during the night. He was spared from death because he slept behind a closed door on the second floor. Even though there was speculation that Larson could have murdered Matilda, it seemed impossible for him to have started such a blazing fire without damaging the rest of the house. It's possible that excessive alcohol consumption caused Matilda Rooney to spontaneously combust. A prominent local legend was that she suffered divine retribution for daring to drink so much on Christmas Eve. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. We wish you a Merry Christmas and stay safe. Please remember to visit our show sponsor, The Physical Attraction Podcast. You can find them on iTunes or your other favorite podcast directory. Physical Attraction is the podcast that explains physics one chat-up line at a time. From interviews with experts through apocalyptic scenarios to the latest developments in physics, the show explains complex topics in a simple and engaging way. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit the website at www.physicspodcast.com and follow the Twitter feed at PhysicsPod. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, 
Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Capelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.